welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. guys. Thank you, band. Matt, leading the youth, starting back last Friday. One of the things I find myself praying for uh, is for the teenagers of the Central Coast. So I'm very glad that we've got Matt and his crew running a fantastic, Matt and Sarah, that's part of the crew, yeah. Well, yeah, well okay, she's, yeah, sorry. Right, Sarah, Matt, Sarah, very good. Matt and Sarah are an item, in case you didn't realise, but she's not just you know, she's also helping to lead. And so Friday nights is a great uh, place uh, for teenagers, if you know of any, uh, you know, give them a lift here or, uh, you know, tell them about it. Uh, because uh, I guess from personal experience, you know, that's when I met the Lord Jesus, didn't have any church Christian upbringing or a background, uh, but at the age of 15, you know, the lights came on, so to speak, and it, it started to make sense, you know, and I've never looked back. Um, and uh, and so that's, you know, often an age when young people are figuring out what are they going to live for? What's life all about? You know, why am I here? And we want them to find the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus, yeah? And so that's what we're passionate about. And speaking about that, uh, we've, we're, we're doing this series. Um, I, I also just want to say this year, beginning of the year, uh, very excited about some of the things we've got like youth uh, meetings and youth events and special events for the kids like they're doing today. Uh, we've got a great missions team going, led by Eddie and Sudi, going to uh, Bali, Indonesia in May. Um, leading up to that, we'll have a mission Sunday with an international potluck lunch, which we did last year, which was fantastic, celebrating all the different cultures and um, nationalities and ethnicities you know that we have we've got guest preachers we're excited about um we've got some great teaching series on sundays of course i mentioned bible college women's meetings men's barbecue men's what are you calling it men's meat meetings barbecues if you're vegetarian that's fine there's plenty of grass in the courtyard um no, 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 we'll have, we'll have vegetarian options. Uh, yes, there's that slide. Thank you. You can flash. Oh, it was just a little teaser. Oh, that's it. Don't show it again. Oh. Uh, all right. But all the meetings, all the plans, all the programs would be a waste of time for a church. It'll be okay as a social club, but we're more than a social club. It's the church of Jesus, and it would be a waste of time if you did it all without someone. The Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about. We're doing this series on Acts uh, 1.8, which there's the verse, uh, and it records the words of Jesus. He's died, he's risen from the dead, he's just about to go back to heaven, and he says, wait, and a couple of verses before this one, in Acts chapter 1, he says, wait and you will be baptised in the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So geographically, you know, Jerusalem and the wider area of Judea and then Samaria was further to the north and to Australia, you know, the ends of the earth and beyond. Uh, and of course, that applies not just to the early disciples, but to us um, all these years later and over the last 2,000 years, we've seen 
the spread of the gospel all over the world. And, and so Ruth began last week. She made the point um, of saying, of course, the Holy Spirit, in spite of the, he is a person. He's part of the Trinity. Um, and uh, he, we know from Scripture, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that he's present at the point of salvation, touching, sealing the soul of someone in God's heart and family. But subsequent to that moment where someone commits their life to God, there is an experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or people might just say infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so his gifts, his presence, his power are more completely uh, manifested in our lives. And that power was promised here in that verse that we see up there, um, particularly as it relates to our witness for him, because there's the... Um, uh, the connection there, you will be, some translations say, so that you will be. Um, and so the Holy Spirit empowers us to share our faith, communicate the good news of Jesus to people all over the world. And when you read on in that book of Acts, um, called, you know, Acts of the Disciples, but you could also just say Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it's one and the same, the Holy Spirit moving through the early church and the people. When you read on, you see the day of Pentecost in the next chapter, and that's the day Holy Spirit came and uh, he fell on all the believers and people saw what looked like tongues of fire. It was miraculous, it was powerful. They prophesied, they spoke in tongues, and, uh, and they're empowered with this new you know, boldness to, to preach and share this life-changing message of Jesus. And they get persecuted for it. But it doesn't stop them. So they're so empowered, they're so emboldened that they get warned and they get punished and they start getting martyred and killed and stoned to death and it doesn't stop them because they're not motivated by self-preservation. They're not motivated by what can I get out of life and how I can save up and get a little beach shack down on the Sea of Galilee and retire fishing along with me mate Peter or you know that those disciples could easily have gone down that road like many all throughout history have no no they were they were motivated by the Holy Spirit they were stirred to go I'm just living all out for Jesus and you see that evidence particularly in the life of Peter you know before Pentecost we read right a lot uh, we read quite a lot I should say about Peter and you see he's a real mixed bag you know, because at times his faith is really strong. Jesus walks out on water. Peter says, wow, I'll give it a go. Whoa, yeah, come on. So he's the only one that goes, walks out on the water. But at other times, his faith with God was so shaky and weak, it, it was a shocker, you know, as demonstrated famously by his public denial of Jesus. And it's right there in the scriptures. And, you know, it's like, really? Did that have to get in there? And, uh, and so you read a lot. Uh, about Peter in the Gospels, he's walking alongside Jesus, but it's a wild ride. It's a roller coaster of emotion. It's you know he's got this strong, passionate personality, and he loves the Lord, and he's also completely unpredictable, impetuous, stubborn, unreliable. And so you know, on one hand, he's committed to Jesus, wants to serve Him. And at the same time, he's caught up with his own doubts and insecurities and he's a bit of a mess. But all this changes on the day of Pentecost because he gets filled with the Spirit. And when you read on in the next chapter, you see that he stands up in front of everyone that's around the place or watching what's going on. And he preaches to this massive crowd of people. And he's got this newfound clarity 
and security and boldness that doesn't come from himself, but from the Holy Spirit. So he proclaims the good news of Jesus. He quotes Old Testament scriptures that he couldn't possibly have prepared beforehand because the Holy Ghost quickened to him, gave it to him, put it in his mind. And perhaps you've had that experience. You ever been talking to someone and you're sharing your faith and there's this kind of little, you know, socially awkward hurdle because you've got the devil in your head saying no one wants to hear about the very best things in sliced bread and then your Holy Spirit speaks to you and says well they do even if they don't realise they need to know it you should tell them and you just find a way to diplomatically give them the awesome news so we want to make sure we get over that hurdle because really you know if you had a cure for cancer or the best restaurant you've ever been to or the most amazing way to make someone successful in their career or a technique at the gym that's going to you know, whatever you're into, you know, look, make you look, then you share it. You talk about it. You do talk about good things in your life. But of course, the devil wants Christians to go, ah, I better clam up. I don't want to offend anyone, you know. But as I said, diplomatically, tactfully, with grace, we still have this awesome message. And so you've probably had, possibly, hopefully had those times where you're talking to someone and it might be a little difficult. And then you hear yourself say something and you think, wow. That sounded good. And before you feel proud of yourself, you go, oh, thank you, Lord. I realise that's the Holy Spirit. Those words weren't mine. Oh. And they go, oh, really? I've never heard it said that. Oh, wow, that makes sense. You know, that's the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter has this experience. And then at the end of the book of Acts, you read in verse 37, he's preached this sermon. And it says in verse 37, when the people heard this, that's his message, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Wow. And notice that response again. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit in his sermon. He's empowered. He's anointed. He's preaching not just a, you know, an entertaining message, certainly not a boring message. No, no, it cuts them to the heart. It convinces them and convicts them and they, they feel the need to do something. And, uh, and so, of course, he answers their request. Well, I'll tell you what to do. Verse 38, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we're told 3,000 people committed their life to Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's a pretty good response. <laughs> you know, and, and, so, and then, of course, Peter carries on throughout his life, preaching, not a perfect person, but empowered, directed, led by the Holy Spirit. Less brashness, more Holy Ghost boldness. No longer this edgy, unstable, slightly unhinged character with unchecked emotions. Now he's got a servant heart, determined to glorify God, follow God, and, and he does, right up to the end of his life where he's famously crucified for his faith. So Peter's a classic example of a great life lived all out for God. He's a true success story. Didn't rely on his intelligence, his education, or his wit, or his good looks, or his connections, or his wealth, or anything else that the world around us might say, oh, that's, that's important, get that in your kit, that's, you know, really. No, no, he just relied on the Holy Spirit. He just had the Holy Spirit anoint his personality and get the gifts, the grace, the anointing, the fruit, the power all flowing through him. And in our lives, we are invited to follow that example. 
Of course, a different era, different circumstances, different culture, different gifts, different callings, but the same principle and the same Holy Spirit. If you want to do something for God, if you want to do something with your life, you don't need, you know, the great plans, programs, personality, provision, anything else starting with P that, you know, is sort of what we might think of as the need, the basis for success. You just need the power of the Holy Spirit moving, flowing through your life. And, pregnant pause, sorry. When I say flowing, that word perfectly describes how the Holy Spirit moves. Like water, he flows into all different places, in all different people's lives, in different unexpected ways, sometimes a torrent of power and it's all dramatic and spectacular and sometimes it's a little gentle trickle and people just have an experience, you know, quietly with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so on that, uh, this is like the water analogy that you see in the Bible quite a lot, which I want to refer to two passages using that analogy. Come with me to Ezekiel 47. If you've got a Bible, you'll find this in the Old Testament, but we'll have the scripture up here in a moment. All right now um this whole let me give a ba- bit of background uh first so ezekiel's a prophet um and he's uh he's with the people in uh babylon the jewish people have been exiled into babylon and they're of course terribly upset they've lost their homeland the temple's been uh torn apart and so he's encouraging them about a future time when god re- would restore them to their land their homeland and also bring refreshment and revival And so then in chapter 47, Ezekiel gets this vision. And in the vision, he's he's led uh, by a man to a river. The man, we're told, uh, is like shining bronze. So it's a Christophany, as theologians would tell us. It's a a pre-incarnate encounter with Jesus, an image of Jesus before he actually came physically to earth. The man leads him into the water and it says, we're not looking at that just yet. You can just take, just, I'll get there in a sec. But, but I'm just giving you the background rather than reading the whole chapter. The passage says, um, it takes him to the river, he takes him to the water and he says he goes into his ankles and then it makes a point of saying, and then he goes a bit deeper into his, and it gets to his knees. And then it goes up to his waist and then it says, finally it got so deep, Ezekiel has to swim in it. So he has this experience, he goes back to the bank, he's led back to the bank of the river, and then he says, the man in the vision tells him about the river and where it's flowing. And this is the verse that I did want you to see. He said to me, the man says to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. Wow. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. That's a very powerful river. One that carries life-giving power. One that turns the salty Dead Sea into fresh water, which of course hasn't happened physically yet. If you've been to the Dead Sea, you know, you see photos of people floating, you know, two foot above the surface of the water. It's so salty. It's amazing. It's buoyant. There's nothing living there because the salt's so strong. So, but it has happened spiritually for thousands of years because the river represents the gospel 
and the Holy Spirit moving on people's lives and saving them and bringing freshness and life and wherever he flows and moves and ministers, the life of God flows. And so Ezekiel wading deeper and deeper into this river is symbolic of how we can go deeper into God, how we can know him more and more, not just, oh God, save me, I'm a sinner and I'd probably prefer to go to heaven when I die, so thank you and get the ticket and then just carry on. You, No, no, it's, it's an experience that we're invited to go on this adventure with God, the journey to, to know him and how we can experience the Holy Spirit moving in our life, his gifts, his fruit, so our character hopefully gets a little you know, more Christ-like as we go along and, uh, and his power at ever-increasing levels and depths just like this river. And if you read that chapter for yourself, Ezekiel 47, you'll see in verse 1 it tells us where the river starts. It begins flowing from the temple of God. So not from a king, not from a government, not from any human institution. As I said before, your life source isn't to be from your business, your wealth, your bank account, your good looks, your network of friends, number of, you know, people following you on social media, you know, our life source comes from God himself and he flows, you know, and so our, our, salva- our salvation, our, our eternal destiny, our, our uh, security in God, our identity, it all flows from God's heart, yeah, through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus and, and then of course it's, it's meant to flow into us and through us like water flows, and it brings the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what Jesus referred to. This is the other passage I want to look at in John seven thirty eight. So now we're back in the times of Jesus, and he says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And, and that's a strong metaphor. People might be thinking, wow, that kind of sounds cool, but what does it mean? Well... The very next verse, it's recorded that he explains what he meant. Verse 39, because John's deep when you read John's gospel. He's sort of wanting to explain things along the way. He hears from God, not just recording the words of Jesus, but why he said them. And it says, by this he meant the Spirit, Holy Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. In other words, the day of Pentecost. And so it's looking forward to, that's what he's predicting and prophesying about. And this river of living water will flow, not just into us, but from within us, through us, out into the world. And this is, look, rivers are powerful, yeah? And sometimes deceptively so. I discovered this many years ago. Uh, as a young man, I was 20, I'd qualified as a teacher and I went and lived in Bangkok and taught English there for about six months and I did some backpacking and so I was with an English teaching colleague, big tall bloke uh, and um, he was. <laughs> we hired a funny little 125cc motorcycle and he couldn't ride so I had to ride because he couldn't ride his own bike. He's a tall, he was like six foot four and me and we're putting along and we, we went up 
the highest mountain in Thailand, and remember thinking in first gear, we are not going to make it. But, 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 but it's like you kick down Craig, you know, you go up a hill, you're in fourth, boom, third, boom, oh, I'll need second here. Whoa, 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 boom, I'm in first gear. Put, 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 put. I think people walking past us, you know, it's hilarious. And, um, but that's not the point of the story. I'm just reminiscing. I just, I just think it was tall, skinny guy. Well, and that waterfall that we visited, we went down to the waterfall. We had this great time. No one, this is in the 80s. Tourists hadn't discovered half these places, you know, way out in the sticks. And um, we're in this waterfall. It was great. And then we go back up to the bike and we get there. And I think, no, no, we're nearly at the bike. And I go, oh, no, I haven't got the key. I've left it back at the waterfall. Oh, anyway, we go all the way down to the waterfall. Can't find the key. Think, oh no, can you hotwire a bike? No, neither can I. Oh, don't know, what are we going to do? We get back, the key was in the bike the whole time. Anyway, he forgave me for that. But my story that I was going to tell is we went right up to the, um, the Golden Triangle. So you've got Thailand meeting with Burma, now known as Myanmar, and Laos, and you've got the mighty Mekong River, which is hundreds and hundreds of metres wide, and then you've got the little river, between Thailand and Burma. So you could look across to Laos hundreds of metres away and you don't want to tackle that, you know, even the boats, you can see it's a big river. But then there's this little river and it's only, you know, like from here to the car park, 40 metres maybe, and there's Burma. And in my stupidity, in my youthful exuberance, I said, hey, let's swim to Burma because you couldn't get into Burma. I mean, now, you know, it's still a military junta and it's, you know, but they've opened up to tourism. That then it was closed, it was difficult, but we thought this would be a fun little thing to tick off. And we couldn't see any border guards. We knew that they were around somewhere, but we walked right to the tip of the rivers, right to the edge. And so there was no one around and it's just all these, you know, bulrushes or, you know, bamboo right down to the river thing. And so we thought, fine, how hard can it be? Well, of course, I just didn't calculate how, I didn't realise how powerful the current was. And also, I'm really not a very strong swimmer. I'm pretty hopeless. So, so we started swimming across, and I couldn't believe it. You want to swim there, and we are just going at this angle. And there's the Mekong, the mighty Mekong. Ah! So he gets across, and I am thinking, I am not going to make it. So I've got to swim back. So I turn back, just land back on the tie edge, right on the corner, just before I get swept off to be either shot by Laotian communist border guards because they were also military dictatorship or you know I don't know eaten by crocodiles or swept 2,000 kilometers down to the delta in Vietnam because that's how far it goes anyway I get back and he's like waving the other side and of course especially because he's an Englishman and the ashes and all that it's like there's no way I was I was gonna let we were already a little competitive he was he was an atheist and I promised I'd read Nietzsche because he had thus spoke that one, you know, with him. And I said, I'll read that if you read one of the Gospels, because I had my Bible. So we swapped. So we had this sort of war of religions and, and cricket came up. And so we, we were friends, but, you know, anyway, we're competitive. So I thought, I've got to do it. So I worked my way up through the bamboo, throwing off boa constrictors, fighting. It's been a few years. I can't remember the details, but I'm sure there were crocodiles involved. But anyway, I finally get far enough that I think, well, I've got to get there, but I know I'm going to go there. So off I go. And honestly, I, I, you know, and I was young and fit, but not a technically 
competent swimmer, you know, not real good. And I can't believe it. Anyway, I finally made it across. Yay, stood on Burma, here we are. And then I've got to get back again. So, of course, I've got to trudge up that way because I know my trajectory is going to be like this. So he swims across with a trajectory just, just a little off being completely perpendicular. And mine's like, ah, you know, and then I grab onto the edge of the bamboo and made it back. My point is, sorry, I don't know, I just went down that trail, but rivers are powerful. And so is the Holy Spirit. And sometimes deceptively so. Because you can look at a river and you, you don't realise. Look at all the buffheads on Instagram who are driving cars into floodwaters, you know, and no matter what the police say, when it's all, somebody thinks, because I've got a Range Rover or whatever, you know, that I'm going to be fine, and then they go, where? so, but how do you find out how powerful a river is? There's only one way, by stepping in, and just like Ezekiel, he went into the river, and that's, that's symbolic of us stepping in to the presence of God, leaning into the Holy Spirit, Going deeper in God, in prayer. Going further than just, oh God, bless me and run out the front door, you know, in the morning on the way to work. But because, you know, you can go to the ocean, you can dip your toes in. Ruth likes the water to be warm. She likes the ambient air temperature to be 39 degrees minimum, you know, and then she might have a swim. Until then, she'll say, I'll go for a run, I'll dive in, I'll come back. She'll say, Did you swim? She goes, Yes. You don't look wet. I just swam up to my ankles. It's like, that's not a swim, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, praise God she doesn't do that with God. You know, but some people do. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I, tippy toe, I sort of had a cursory look at the Bible. You know, most popular published book in all human history. And it's amazing how people won't even read it. You know, they'll read anything but. Oh, I visited a church, but, you know, I didn't like the pastor's glasses you know or whatever uh you know so so the point is you know we are invited in that prophetic image that ezekiel gives us to not just dip our toes in to get right in to wade in and then whoa whoa i'm in so deep i gotta swim and so i've lost my footing i may not understand everything i might not be as secure and oh well i've got it all organized and god's in a box it's like oh and sometimes in church and even outside church god can move in a way that you don't understand and he can do that because he's God and you're not, you know. So we don't always get to make him just the way we want him or just organise things the way we... Of course, the Bible says, let all things be done in order in church services. But occasionally, Holy Spirit can, you know, do what he likes. We want him to. And that can look can take all forms, you know. For these guys right back in the day of Pentecost, it freaked people out because they were speaking in tongues. And it still freaks people out. And for a, a season 20 or so years ago, we had the, the river and the Toronto blessing and people were falling over and laughing. All kinds of, there were Christians that had been in church for a million years and they were all very organised and then they found themselves uncontrollably laughing. And, and it was the Holy Spirit. And they were embarrassed and some thought it was ridiculous. Others were like, I don't know what it is, but I'm feeling so close to God and I'm refreshed and ministers who were dry and dusty after years and years were like, I'm powering on for God. And all throughout history, you see different waves and moves and seasons and we want to be open to whatever the Holy Spirit does, yeah? Whatever it looks like, we don't want to just say, no God, we don't understand that. You haven't moved like that in the past. 
Well, that's old wineskins. You know that scripture? Jesus said, you put old wine, new wine into old wineskins, it'll burst. And so we want to be new wineskins, skin that is flexible and able to move with how the Holy Spirit moves, yeah? But what does it look like to go deeper, to go deeper into God? Well, of course, that's a whole, you know, message and, uh, you know, consideration of itself. But just briefly... It can take all forms, you know, and I touched on this a bit. It can be a powerful, even spectacular moment in a public meeting. Maybe the music's pumping and you're at an altar call or you're in a corporate gathering and wow, and you feel the Holy Spirit and, and it's very powerful and exciting. But it can also be not a torrent like a powerful river. It can be a gentle, quiet moment of prayer and reflection with the Lord like a trickle like a little stream, and it's still powerful in its own way, in a gentle way. You know, the Bible talks about the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, just speaking gently, and we want to be open to that as well, and that's why people talk about having a quiet time. It's good to have a noisy time occasionally too, but you don't want to always be noisy. You want to be still, Psalm 4610, be, be still and know that I am God. You know, and uh, we were just coming back from our summer holiday uh, on the coast. We spent one night inland near the Barrington Tops in a cabin. And it's out in the sticks. And I wondered, and Ruth wondered, do we need to boil the water? Where are they getting their water from? And I talked to the owner. And he said, oh, no, no, you go for your life. Drink it straight out of the tap. We get it tested. He says it's all streaming down from upper Barrington Mountains. And there's no human development up there there's no cattle and it's only a gentle stream coming down into his property but he says it's pure if you know had it tested it's great ready to drink and here it is irrigating his property flowing all the way down for the animals down in the valley and hydrating the humans as well and that's powerful in a in a gentle little creek version you know so that's yeah that's often how he moves and you know, again, um, we we'd had a look at this last year. Some of the examples of how the gospel spread in the South Pacific Islands. You know, these bold, brave missionaries would go out there and risk their lives to share the gospel. And sometimes after years and years and years, they'd just get one person converted to Christ. But then another one. And then maybe the chief. And then the next thing, it's all the villages. And so that's just... The gospel being a trickle that might end up being a flood. And now you've got whole regions and even nations that are filled with believers all over the islands. Which brings us back to Acts 1, verse 8. Receiving power for what? So that we may be his witnesses. Not just for ourselves. Yeah, Not just having a sense of, oh God's close to me and a little tingle in a meeting you know and I want to finish with a quote this is um, the theologian and brilliant um, British pastor N.T. Wright and he says this God doesn't give people the Holy Spirit in order to let them enjoy the spiritual equivalent of a day at Disneyland of course if you're downcast and gloomy the fresh wind of God's spirit can give you a new sense of God's presence love comfort and even joy but the point of the spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take out into the world the news that he is Lord, that he has won the victory over the forces of evil, that a new world has opened up and that we are able to help make it happen. Equally, the task of the church cannot be attempted without the Spirit. I've sometimes heard Christian people talk as though 
Having done what he's done in Jesus, God now wants us to do our part by getting on with things under our own steam. That is a tragic misunderstanding. It leads either to arrogance or to burnout or both. Without God's spirit, there is nothing we can do that will count for God's kingdom. Without God's spirit, the church simply can't be the church. So I'm back to where I started when I said we've got an exciting year coming up. We've got things we're going to do. But Holy Spirit, lead us, empower us, direct us, yeah, anoint us. So it's all with him. And um, I said, I meant, I'll just finish with this thought. We were at a party last night in Sydney. Oh, loud music, you know. And you're trying, I don't I sound old, trying to talk to someone. So I, I catch up with Jamie Malcolm, who some of you would know. He's preached here, great man of God. And he says, oh, and I said, what are you preaching about tomorrow? Yeah, he tells me, oh, yeah. screaming, what are you? Oh, what? How are you? Oh, Paul, how are you? What are you? Are you preaching at church tomorrow? Yeah, what's that? Said, anyway, it was like that. But anyway, he finally got there. He said, what are you preaching about? I said, I'm preaching about the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. And I told him just a couple of little things. And he just said, oh, oh, I love the Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love the Holy Spirit. And he was sort of like, we were half joking, and then he actually started, I think, to tear up. He must have said it a dozen times. Just because, I'm just saying, I'm preaching about the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I just want our people to understand that, you know, we don't want to do it without the Holy Spirit. We've got to, and he's like, I love the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, I love the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing, because we really, boom, boom. This crazy music, ah, party and life. And he's going, I love the Holy Spirit. Ah. This little moment, the Holy Spirit touching us. So like I said, he'll flow into all different places, you know. So go, uh, well, maybe don't go clubbing and witnessing, you know. Maybe just wait till people come out of the club, depending on how you're affected by that, you know. Come on, let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come on our church, come on our lives, come on our our times of personal devotion to you, prayer, reading the Bible, come on our services, come on our hearts so we'll burn with passion to live for you, tell others about you, follow you, serve you, we love you. Oh Lord Jesus, you know the the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ because he's He's pointing to Jesus all the time. And today I want to encourage you to make sure that you are walking with Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Saviour. He's come, died on the cross for your sins, made a way for us all to have a relationship with God. That's the essence of the Christian faith. Not rules, regs, not having to go to church or be a nice person. or It's just being able to walk with God. And Jesus made that possible. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's our access point to our Heavenly Father, our Creator, the destiny that He has for us. The single best decision you can ever make with your life is to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sin and help me to follow you. I want to encourage you to to pray that you can pray right now you can see me afterwards down the front here you can talk to someone you know is already a Christian or maybe it's a moment for you to consider a comeback a reconnection a recommitment to God to say well God I you know I have wandered I've wavered I'm doing my own thing I'm not talking to you I'm distant well God hasn't moved he's still waiting with his arms 
reaching out to you. You're just going to turn around. You might have a, a prayer of rededication that follows that same pattern. Lord, come into my life. Help me to follow you. Forgive me. Empower me. Holy Spirit, lead me. He's going to take you on the very best adventure, the very best destiny that he's created for you to live. Thank you, Lord. Your touch on every life here today. Your blessing, your protection, your provision. We all go our different ways, different paths, different journeys. And yet, same Holy Spirit, same loving God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.